How's it going? I'm Xander Fryer, just another millennial corporate dropout turned entrepreneur. Since quitting my day job as an engineer just over four years ago, I built a multi-million dollar coaching business, mentoring seven-figure business owners, professional athletes, award-winning musicians, Hollywood actors, best-selling authors, and hundreds of aspiring entrepreneurs. I truly believe that when we couple the right knowledge with a strong desire for action, anything is possible. But most of us are never given the right knowledge, the shit you don't learn in college. The Sidlik Podcast shares interviews from the world's most successful people in business, finance, sports, health, and entertainment in order to help you live a life filled with more money, more meaning, and more freedom than you ever thought possible. Get ready to learn the shit you don't learn in college. Hey, hey, friends. How's it going? Welcome back to another episode of Shit You Don't Learn in College. I'm your host, Xander Fryer. And today we're going to be talking to an old friend of mine, Sam Gibbs Morris. Now, Sam is a speaker with a TED Talk. He's a leadership coach and a men's work facilitator. He guides men to transcend their edges so they can receive and experience the fullness of life. He's the founder of the Full Fuck Yes Frequency. And he's also a psychedelic guide and integration coach and a certified breathwork facilitator. Uh, He's a fun one to talk to, so you're not going to want to miss this episode. Uh, We dig into how a quote-unquote pretty good childhood can actually result in a lot of subconscious trauma if we're not really aware of it and how that programming can hold you back later in life. We talk about how he overcame physical health issues and stress issues like asthma and addiction naturally, the three most powerful methods to heal past issues and trauma, and the two biggest issues that men face in today's society, why it's not okay for them to show it, and how to overcome them. And don't forget, we only spread our message when you share this knowledge with others that need it. So if you enjoy this episode, please share it on your social and tag at Xander Fryer. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and give us a five-star rating so you don't miss any other great episodes. And for all of our shit you don't learn in college fans out there, if you get any value from this podcast, don't forget to go to www.sidlicbook.com, S-Y-D-L-I-C book.com to grab your copy of the number one bestseller, Shit You Don't Learn in College, the book available now. All right, all right. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Shit You Don't Learn in College. I'm your host, Xander Fryer. And today, we're going to be talking to a longtime friend of mine, Sam Gibbs Morris. Sam, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, buddy. You said long time. I was like, wow, it has been a long time. <laughs> it's, been, it's, been a, it's been a few years. That's a long time for the entrepreneurial world, right? Yeah, I think it's working on like five years. Yeah, yeah, I love it, man. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to dig in with you, brother. It's been been a bit since you and I have even gotten to catch up. So yeah, uh, I think this will be a good little chat um, for for everybody that doesn't know Sam. Uh, let's just start by giving them a little bit of background on you. Obviously, I want to talk about a lot about what you're doing. You you do some amazing work as a men's coach. You do some amazing work as a psychedelic facilitator as well. Thank you. Um, you know, there's a lot of a, a lot of big problems in the world that I think you're on a mission to solve. So I want to dig into that. Awesome. But before we dig into all of that, let's let's hear a little bit about your story. How did you get to where you are now? Ooh, that's that's a good question. Um, if you had asked me that four years ago, this would have been a completely different answer. So. <clears throat> it's it's good to revisit this. Um, I started off. I was born in Vermont, and you know, growing up at, in that childhood experience, I was you know playing tennis every day all summer, playing golf, skiing all winter, school, tons of friends. Pretty like from what I thought was a pretty normal kind of benign childhood that was filled with a lot of joy and fun. There's a lot of love in my house, 
However, yeah. something that I've learned as I've looked back, I, so I ran into my own struggles as an adult through addiction, um, a lot of just self-limiting beliefs and a lot of uh, stories and, and hooks, the traumas that I call hooks, they just wouldn't let go. I recognized yeah. that there was a lot of things about my childhood that were not actually um, great for a little kid to go through. So from the day I was born, uh, my umbilical cord was wrapped around my head and I had asthma and allergies right off the bat. And so for me, breathing was a struggle from day one. So I learned yeah. very early on how to struggle very well. And I got, I got really good at struggling. Huh. So to the point where- and that's, and that's, that's so interesting to think about, right? Because it's like, you know, we're talking like, very. you, you said your umbilical cord was wrapped around your neck at, at birth, I'm assuming, yeah. right? Because yeah. you didn't have your umbilical cord hanging out at, you know, five years old or something. Right. Yeah. Um, but so like, even from birth, you're starting to go through some of this mental programming of struggling for air, struggling to breathe. Yeah. And, you know, whether or not you had a quote unquote, pretty good childhood, you grew up in a nice area. These are the things that can affect us no matter what our background is. Yeah. Oh, sorry. That's actually a, that's a joy alarm. <laughs> <laughs> I have nice, like man. five a day. Um, uh, I love it. I love it. We'll talk about that. Yeah, in a second. Yeah. Keep going. So, so yeah. So I, you know, again, like totally just, I, I immediately went into survival mode, fight or flight from day one. Like I couldn't breathe from the second I came into the world. And so doing, going through the childhood like that, you know, when, when survival becomes your kind of main thing, it do, you don't really notice that it's your main thing. So, you, you know, it's not like, yeah. I didn't have a frame of reference where like, oh, this, this is terrible. This is just the way it was for me. And so I learned, this is life. yeah. And what's that? This is life. This is basically. life. This is how it goes. This is it. And, and I didn't, and again, I didn't have like another experience to relate it to. And so over the years, as I struck, as I walked through those fires of, of asthma and going, ending up in the hospital, passing out, playing little league, my lungs stopped working. I mean, I spent weeks at a time in the hospital every year until I was 13, 14, 15 years old. And then on top of that, there was times when I would eat a peanut or a walnut or an almond by accident and have an allergic reaction. And so all these things were a constant threat for me, which in later yeah. in life, I've learned to turn into like hyper awareness and to a superpower almost where I can pick up on energies yeah. and I can pick up on people's cadences and what's going on around me. I mean, the radar is insane. And so, <laughs> and so the the struggle in childhood was something that I just got used to and I became very good at it. I learned to struggle. I, like you talk about building a somatic body to, you know, hold success or to hold love or to hold the things that we want in life. You know, I built the somatic body to struggle. And so this, yeah. did, this later on in life, this, this when you say when you say the somatic body, can you explain that for our audience that doesn't understand what that means? Yeah. So the somatic body is the experience between your body and your mind. So your body is, has the ability to hold your body remembers what your mind forgets. So for me, like I didn't mentally or intellectually understand that struggle is not the way it's supposed to be. So my body was remembering all this struggle growing up. And so my somatic body was like, yeah, we, we, we actually learned to like struggle. It felt comfortable. Mm -hmm. So the somatic body. Your, your body almost becomes addicted to the feeling of struggle. Right. And, and I'll get into the, the levels to that in a second. And so the somatic body yeah is the your your autonomic autonomic nervous system what can your autonomic nervous system hold like do you are yeah. you in fight or flight all the time are you able to relax and get into the sympathetic nervous system the parasympathetic nervous system how easily are you to go back and forth there i was always in the sympathetic nervous system so fight or flight all the time just constant yeah. threats all the way around me i mean to the point environmental allergies food allergies dogs cats all of it 
horses, cows. And so I built this, I, I was just living, but at the same time I was learning that struggle is, is something that is my way of life. And again, I didn't know yeah. that there was another way. I just, this is it. And so I didn't look, I never thought it was a problem because I was just used to it. And so the other thing on the other side of that was uh, I learned that through those struggles, having a really severe asthma attack and having me rushed to the hospital at two in the morning or eating a peanut at a birthday party, my mom comes and rescues me, that struggle mm -hmm. or chaos was actually turned into a love language for me. I was, I was going to say that that resulted in somebody coming and saving you, yes. whether it was a mom or a friend or a uh, you know, fatherly figure or anything, anything, right? Yeah. It was just like, that was, I, I realized I never understood that like, that being a normal kid and a happy kid and a loving kid, like my value proposition to the world was I struggle. So you pay attention to me. You, yeah. Come save come me. Save yeah. me. <laughs> and we've talked about this years ago, like through, through coaching with you, you know, like this was my thing. So I learned that like when I get into relationships later on or when I get into business, it's it's your job is to save me. Coaches, save me. Girlfriends, wow. save me. See, what you're, what you're trying to tell me right now is something that you went through as a kid. You ended up taking into your future and in relationships with, with significant others and your career yeah. and your business. It affected you? Oh, my God, that's crazy. I know, right? <laughs> and we, it's, it's like, well, and we, and we wonder where the disconnects are. Like, oh. Yeah. yeah. So, so – Obviously, like you, you, you go through all of this stuff as a kid and then you take it into your life in the future. What like was there a, was there a moment when you're like, man, something has to change here. Or I got to figure this shit out. Like what happened? Yeah. So two, there's one real on two. So let's go two sides, personal life and business. In business, yeah. I realized that I would I would I would I was a feast or famine coach, you know, a 20K yeah. month and then a $500 month. Because when I yeah. had that 20K month, I was like those lottery winners that win the lottery and go broke. Like the, the 20K yeah. months, I wanted that, but my somatic body was like, no, sir, that is not what yeah. we like. We don't like that freedom. We don't like that peace, that, that ability to support ourselves, not being saved. So what we're going to do, we're going to, we're going to drop a grenade, blow it all tank, up. Tank it the next month. Yeah. 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 And so end up, end up struggling to pay rent. So over time, like, I'm like, what is this pattern here? And it was that I was just, I didn't, I didn't recognize that I had this subconscious program of. <laughs> struggle is my favorite thing or struggle is struggle is so attached to my identity of who I am that when I'm not struggling, my identity is confused and lost and scared. This is, I, I think this is so powerful because I think there's a lot of people out there that might be listening to this. And some people might be like, how could you be addicted to struggle struggle? Right. And like you mentioned, like you didn't realize it until you actually started to pull yourself out of it. And I, I guarantee that there's people out there that are listening to this right now that are addicted. You can be addicted to some negative, some negative feeling, whether it's anger or frustration or struggle or whatever, whatever this might mean. Yeah. Right. And, and it's created this programming in your subconscious, or like you mentioned, your autonomic nervous system, your somatic body, right? These are, these are all terms for relatively the same thing. And that addiction can actually keep us from actually being happy and joyful in life. hundred percent because, because that struggle gives us so much like being a victim yeah. is, Honestly, like black bear turn, it's kind of nice. And what yeah, can, can you expand on that? Because I think this is worth talking about. Like, like talk to me about that. Yeah. Like, what do you mean it gives us so much? Like we, we vilify the victim. Like, oh, you're being a victim. Like, yeah. And I agree with that. Like, yes, it's, it's not an ideal way to be. However, the victim receives love, receives attention, receives validation, receives justification, receives a reason 
to not perform. Like they, there's yeah. vic- victimhood really. It's, o- it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. You're good. Take your time. Right? Be good. Like go, go self care. Go take care of yourself. You're good. Like you're depressed. Okay. Go good. Good. Go be depressed. Like all these, it's all attention. And so the victim is like, ah, oh, yes, I love this. And, <laughs> and, uh, and the other side of that, the victim doesn't require any self-trust because it's a survival mechanism. The victim doesn't mm-hmm. worry about, can I trust myself to hold a bunch of money or a bunch of clients? Or can I trust myself to be loved? The victim only worries about how am I going to get to the next moment? And so yeah. to get out of victim takes a massive, sh- and for me, that all that sickness and illness as a kid, the somatic body, the other side of like holding struggle was that I didn't trust my body at all. I didn't trust my body to the basic human thing, breathing. I didn't trust my body to be able to breathe. So therefore that as an adult, you know, I learned to breathe and, and I don't have asthma anymore, but that program is installed in me of you can't be trusted with, you know, clients, 20K months, whatever it is, money, success, love, like you can't be trusted. And this was the story I would tell myself, which is on the other side of that. So in order to get out of the, to, to put the victim to bed, you have to say, no, I trust myself to provide my own self-love, to provide my own validation, to provide my own um, reasons, reasons to show up. Like you shift that value proposition from like, I'm the struggler, come save me to I'm a valuable human being because I am you know, deep in my masculinity and my divine masculine and my king and stepping into those roles as opposed to being identified as that struggler victim. Yeah, I love, I love that. Um, you, just, you just mentioned uh, that you got rid of your asthma. Like, talk me through that. How did you get rid of your asthma? <laughs> uh, it started nutritional. It was a nutritional shift at first. When I was like yeah. 36, I, I was ridiculously out of shape. I mean, I, I, I was an athlete my whole life. So I played tennis all, all through college <clears throat> growing up. And uh, I was always in shape. And then later in life, in my early 30s, I got up to like 230 pounds. I, the flight of stairs was like a, a, like a, a five steps of the stairs, I'd be out of breath. And it was like, I, yeah. I can't go on like this. So I went and started which is, which is so, so it's entertaining to me, honestly, because I know you as like forever the most ripped person <laughs> in the room, right? So, so that's hilarious to me, by the way. It may not have been hilarious to you then, but it's funny to me. <laughs> I, looking back, it's very hilarious. And I wish I had pictures, but cell phones didn't have cameras back then. So yeah, I don't have yeah. any. Um, and so <laughs> nutritionally, the, the nutritionist was like, stop eating gluten and dairy. And so dairy and gluten are, for me, toxic. And so I stopped eating gluten and dairy with the intention of like getting in better shape, losing weight. And I noticed six months down the road that like I haven't used my inhaler in six months. Wow. And so then, and which which is like a big thing that I'm really, really passionate about now is the epigenetics of it all. The biology of belief, Dr. Bruce Lipton stuff, where like- Oh yeah, great great book. yeah, Yeah, Louise Hay. You'll heal your life. Yeah. Um, so like these emotional attachments. So for me, like the last line of defense for my ego from that struggling little kid was hanging on to the asthma and the allergies and whatever else, because it meant if I don't have that, it's like a fallback. So the emotional yeah. attachment was like, you know, what, what, when, when you don't succeed, you'll, you'll still have your asthma to fall back on. I've still got my asthma. Yeah. I'm still the victim. <laughs> yeah. I can still be the victim. Exactly. A little loophole, keeping a little loophole open. And so for me, like, yes, nutrition was like a big step forward and that cured everything. And then there's still moments when um, now I get to look at how does my immune system, it's all autoimmune. 
So how does my immune system uh, hold on to those traumas, to those beliefs? And where is it, where is it that, what is the, the trauma that's attached to that asthma, that belief? And it's really because, um, you know, breathing and being seen, like when you breathe, you expand and being seen, being acknowledged, being, being a leader, being a healer, whatever it is. When, when I can fully breathe, that's why breath work has been so important for me is that when I can fully like expand my lungs and breathe, every time I do that, I'm like, this is healing a trauma. This is like, this is, and the, the yeah. trauma is like, it's not like I'm going deep into trauma work every time now it, it, for a while. Yes. And now it's like, I get to, I get to just expand past all these little barriers that, that remain. Yeah. I love that, man. So, so in this process of growing to becoming who you are now and letting go a lot of this stuff. Uh, there's been like, like you, you started to touch on several modalities, everything from breath work to, uh, you mentioned psychedelics. Yeah. So, so talk to me about some of these modalities, because I think a lot of these are, uh, you know, for, for a lot of people they are considered pseudoscience, but there's actually a mm -hmm. lot of science behind, uh, everything here that we're talking about. You even, you mentioned Bruce Lipton, the biology of belief, yeah. great book for anybody who hasn't read it. Also, um, uh, the Body Keeps Score, right. if anybody hasn't read that one. My personal mentor, Dr. Deb Sandella, Goodbye Hurt and Pain, all come back to this same idea that, you know, your thoughts are, your, your thoughts create a physical reality within your body. Like 95% of our brain is our subconscious and that runs our autonomic nervous system, everything else in our body. Yeah. So, so let's talk about those three, three areas and how they've impacted you. Let's start, let's start with you know, the whole like mindset and, and this biology of belief and how that's affected you overcoming addiction, addiction, actual addiction yep. to uh, drugs and alcohol versus addiction to victimhood and struggle. Yeah. Like talk to me about that first. So when the big thing for me was getting past the, the known. So for, yeah. for like you go to therapy and you can go to talk therapy and I have nothing against talk therapy. It, it's, it was amazing for me. However, it's a human experience. And what happens in that human experience is that we tend to repeat the patterns like, and this is another kind of like ancillary side effect of the victim stuff is that, oh, I worked, I worked through my depression. I feel so good about myself. Oh, let <laughs> me work through more depression. Oh, let me work through more to the point where you're basically just in a depression cycle where you create depression to work through depression because it feels good to get through depression. And so yeah. for me, the breath work. You're 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 a you're a hamster on a hamster wheel at that yeah. point. Yeah, and you're basically a belief. Like you're creating, like you're creating, you're creating illnesses just so that you can get over the illnesses. And so oh, wow. you never really. It's I always say like when people are coming out of a dark place, good enough feels like the best place ever they've ever been. Good enough, which is like just out. Yeah. Good enough is not good enough. Good enough is like that pole is still there. But but when you're in that dark place. All you want is to just be just clear enough. And then you get just clear enough and it's like, I made it. I'm good. And that's when people stop doing the work yeah. and they fall back in and they repeat the cycle. And so for me, it was really getting my head around for one awareness of my own thoughts and my own actions and, and the patterns that I'm, that I'm repeating, the self-sabotation patterns and getting to the point, like when I found out about how this struggle story, the struggle identity, this save me story. So getting, getting beyond what I had been working on for like, I was in a, like a three-year cycle of heartbreak and depression. And it would happen to me every three years. Yeah. Meet a girl, she'd break off me, I get depressed. Meet a girl, she'd break off me, I get depressed. And so I was like, and I was at uh, Jay Ferrugia's, um, the, the renegade thing he does, renegade, renegade Brotherhood. Yeah. And I was there, I had just gotten my heart broken and I was there and I'm like, I, I said to the guys, I was like, I don't want to be here. I, I'm here again, this always happens to me. 
And Luca Hosevar was like, stop right there. <laughs> He's like, you need to stop asking yourself why this happens to you and find out why you keep allowing it to happen to you. And I was like, I love that. Mind blown. Kick in the gut and mind blown. And so with the mindset, it was, it was that. It was like, why, why, am I why am I choosing all these things? And so getting, getting the mindset into like, let me look at the real, the, so the, those are all depression, addiction, anxiety. They're all symptoms. But what's really beneath yeah. that? What, what's, what, why is it like that? Why, where, just keep asking why all the way back to, to you get to the root yeah. of it. And for me, the root of it was basically the day I was born. Yeah. And it, and it sounds like, you know, literally you're just kind of going back to like, rather than accepting that it just is, and it, if that's who you are, it's like, why, what, where did this come from? How did this happen? Because when I can understand the root cause, then I can start to affect it. Yeah. And so things like journaling, meditation, um, getting, getting into safe place, like men's groups, like getting into places. So a lot of like what fueled the addiction for me, my addiction. And I just, I just discovered recently in a psychedelic ceremony that in 2009, I fell off a balcony 35 feet from the second story of a bar and landed wow. on my right side. And I thought I had no idea about that at all. It would turn out it was a suicide attempt. Like I, it was a, like my wow. subconscious was felt so ashamed. I was so riddled with shame that I was like, this is it. I'm done. And so my whole life ashamed of who I was because I felt so different, felt like a burden, all this thing. So when I do, when you do, and so what happens is that shame begins when we feel humiliation around a basic need not being met. So breathing, I felt shame. I felt humiliated about not being able to breathe. Kids would make fun of me for having an asthma attack. So shame immediately. So then shame, shame gets healed when those stories get told in safe places. So you want to free your mind, free your mindset, go find a safe place and, and be witnessed in all your shame. Let that shame, let that little shame monster scream his little head off and be seen, he will, and he will disappear. Oh, I love that. So, so that's mindset. Let's talk about breathwork. Like, mm. Talk to me about breathwork. It sounds like breathwork's been a big part, a big modality for you in your healing process, um, and obviously getting to where you are today. So talk to me about yeah. how that works and why it's been so powerful for you. So breathwork, is, breathwork has an effect on the, the, the amygdala of the brain. The, it, it, it shuts off the, um, the smoke alarm of the brain, so to speak. And so when you can calm that, the smoke alarm is the one that looks for threats, finds threats, even when threats don't exist. And so when you can anchor into your breath, that, that part of your brain learns to not be so overactive. And so, and so there's like, there's different, there's different ways to do breath work. There's like the daily stuff where it's, you know, 30 round, 30 breaths on a breath hold, three rounds, or something to set the, basically in the middle, like, like meditation in the morning, something to get yeah. the brain on board early in the day because if you let the yeah. brain go for me personally if i let my brain go it's gonna be a rough day <laughs> yeah you know so I mean? you're, you're essentially you're essentially getting getting your brain and your nervous system back in order so rather than it's in fight or flight mode yeah. and rather than it just running around doing its own thing you're kind of corralling it and getting it back together and so it's a preemptive strike basically the morning yeah. ones now the other like full breath work journeys like where you're going for 45 minutes or 90 minutes sometimes or three hours you breathe in a pattern that will shut your brain completely off and get you into an experience from the neck down. So again, you talk about the body keeps score. They talk about holotropic breathwork in there. That book is amazing. And so what happens is when you can shut your brain, like your body, it, it looks crazy to like 
do something like ecstatic dance or like just roll around and scream primal scream your head off like yeah immediately the person you go to like oh i'm gonna look stupid as shit doing that (laughs) right however when you're in breath work and you're in that environment what happens is that your brain stops you, you, your brain shuts down because it can't keep up. Your, pre, your prefrontal cortex actually, like they can do brain scans. It physically turns off. Yeah. Like it goes dark. So you're not, you stop judging and you stop fearing and you stop like questioning yourself and your body gets to do all these things and the body keeping score, you're giving your body a chance to release all that tension, all that trauma. All So people will get into breath work and start like, you know, like look like a snake or like they'll scream and breathe yeah. heavy. And it's just, it's all, it's just energetic moving. It's energy moving out of the body that's been stored there for sometimes 40 years. Yeah. Uh, this is, I think, I think we're going some places here that are really, really, you know, opening some people up. Now, one of the things I'm a big fan of breath work, uh, you know, whenever I do like a big breath work journey, 60 minutes, 90 minutes, yeah. invariably I take off to space. I, my, you know, my DMT yeah. just blows up in my brain and I go into outer yeah. space so speaking of going into outer space and DMT, let's talk about psychedelics now. Please. So let's let's dig into that. You said you're a psychedelic facilitator. Yeah. I think this is a this is a taboo topic for a lot of people. It is becoming, you know, more commonplace to talk about it. I think a lot of the science and research is now showing how beneficial it could be. Yeah. Um so so let's talk about psychedelics. First of all, when you say a psychedelic facilitator, is there a specific type? Are we talking yeah. psilocybin, LSD? Uh, ayahuasca, DMT, like what are you what are you talking about? So I specifically I facilitate Bufo, which is the which is five MEO DMT organic five MEO DMT from the Bufo alvarius toad, which is the yeah. Sonoran Desert toad, Colorado River toad. It lives in the the deserts of northern Mexico. Lives in the mud for nine months out of the year. It comes out and it's got these glands on its neck that are full of venom. And the the Siri tribe who live there have learned to take the they've taken the venom and dried it out and then it flakes and you inhale it so it's one massive inhale and it's it's uh it is like no other psychedelic on the planet it like so all, all the other ones and I, i've done wachuma the psilocybin i've done ayahuasca there's there, there's kind of an arc to those where you, you drink it or yeah. you eat it and then you wait a little bit at 45 minutes an hour and then you're peaking for anywhere from like three to nine hours and then you're coming out of it. With Bufo, it is a straight shot to source directly yeah. to God. Like you are going to the, the place, like the place that like basically where all humans come from. And so you yeah. go up and then your body, it's legitimately like if I took a computer and unplugged it and it shut down the hard drive, shut down, reset, plug it back in, you know, back online. And the disc, remember the disc defrags back in the day? where we had like the, the PC with like all that dead space yep. and viruses. And yeah. You, you free up the, you compress everything. And then there's like all this free bandwidth. That's yep. what happens after Bufo is that your, your bandwidth has been completely compressed. And so all the faulty programs, the, the ideas, the judgments, the fears, all of that has been completely wiped out. And now as you come back into your you know human existence, your human experience, you have a massive amounts of bandwidth available to you and that's when people will start moving shaking screaming some people start laughing and it, it's it's it, for me it was the most healing experience i've ever had in my life um there's like i can literally say my i had a life up to that day and i've had a life since that day two separate lives yeah. completely five five meo five meo is is what you know joe rogan talks about yeah. on the, the rogan, rogan experience Tyson, where he was like yeah. yeah they're like they're like i think everybody should should you know do dmt and lock himself in a closet 
to to go through that experience. Yeah. Tony Robbins talks um, about it. Yeah. Yeah. So so let's let's talk about. I, I want to talk about not just 5-MeO, but like, because the active ingredient is in ayahuasca is actually, you know, DMT yep. as well. Like why, what, what makes these quote unquote drugs different than what we would traditionally think of uh, like drugs, like cocaine, heroin, yeah. you know, anything like that? Like what, what makes it different? Like you, you, you know, you mentioned you were an addict, mm -hmm. right? Are you not going to get an addicted to 5-MeO? Like what's, talk to me here. Because I think there's a lot of people yeah. that are like, a drug's a drug. Yeah. And, and that, that's kind of right there is where actually the disconnect happens. So I don't look at these as drugs. I look at these as medicines. Like legitimately yeah. that conversation, like I know it sounds like semantics to some people like, ah, drugs are drugs. Like, oh, medicine, yeah. okay, yeah, whatever. No, like this literally is medicinal. Like when you use these things intentionally. So the way it started for me was I, I had five or six years sober and I the AA and all that stuff was just not working for me anymore. I was in that cycle of like, well, what do I need to fix today? What do I need to fix today? If yeah. you're always trying to fix something, you're, you're subconsciously telling yourself you're always broken. You're not good enough. Yeah. Not, yeah. All of it. Yes. And so I left AA and I started microdosing mushrooms and my life literally like hockey sticked. Uh, fight or wow. flight shut down, everything. So what happens when in, so if microdosing, the fight or flight shuts off and you get to, you get to, and the reason that you microdose small amounts is so you're not tripping out. You're not seeing fractals all day. You're just enough to take you out of fight or flight so you can reset neural pathways to experience your life as it honestly as it should be without as a, as a, as what you should be experiencing as a normal person right. without the the preconceived yeah. programs of victimhood struggle all those other and, things. and wanting to run away constantly yeah yeah so that then there's the so the microdosing there and then there's the actual ceremonies the ceremonies um, are so valuable because they like when I talk about like it gets to the point where you have to know what you don't know and you don't know what you don't know that you don't know. <laughs> and so these medicines allow you to go to a place where past the, the immediate thing, like struggling in business or, you know, hitting a ceiling in your life in your love life, whatever it may be. Like, and so we operate in the known so much because honestly the brain is a safe place for us to be our brain. Like when we can think and rationalize and make lists and, and add things up and explain stuff to ourselves. Like that's happy and safe for us, but the real yeah. work gets done without the brain really being involved and the body being involved, letting the body drive for a minute. And so with Bufo and with ayahuasca and with psilocybin, you get past that initial brain experience where you're trying to make sense of things. And it takes a couple times to get to the point where you can actually like trust yourself to not think. let, let go. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when the real value comes in is that um, when you can say, when you can say like brain, I see you, I hear you, but we're going to have a little time out. <laughs> I'm going to go yeah. somewhere where I'm going to look at some things I never look at and see some things I never see and shine some light on some really dark places. And I'm going to come back and we're going to be better. And so that's the real, like break it down. Like that's the real value of these medicines is that they just, they take us to places that we cannot get to in a normal human therapy session, even journaling meditation with breath work, you can get there. These, you know, it's, it's the, the psychedelics of the breath work is um, altered states of consciousness. And so when we yeah. get to those places, it like energetically, we just free up. And that's when, yeah. like, and again, here it goes back to the nervous system, the somatic body. 
the more space you have in your body, the more you're able to hold everything, your own emotions, yeah. other people's emotions, uh, the more you're, the better you're able to show up. So I talk with a lot of my clients about a lot of guys operate on a switch. Like, oh, trouble, let's go. You know, that's, yeah. okay, great. Like you can show up, but like, how about a dial? Like, you know, a, a yeah. dial is a little bit more effective than a switch. A switch and it's the same thing as like reacting, reacting, okay, but it can get very dangerous because you're out of control. If you can respond, then it's a thoughtful, intentional, controlled handling of the situation. So a lot of the, the more we can expand our edges and expand, like basically push past our triggers, the more we're able to handle all the things that are going to come at us in life. And psychedelics really help you to expand that. Yeah, I, lo I love that. And you're, you're talking about obviously a lot of the work that you do in in men's groups and with your clients. Like when you're working with men, what are some of the what are some of the biggest things that you have to help guys overcome? Because I think as a guy, as a man, it's hard for us to admit that we have shit that's wrong with us. Yeah. So like, you, like you obviously working with a lot of men who are becoming bigger, better, stronger, faster, better in relationships, in their career, yeah. and and you know physically and all of that sort of stuff. What are the some of the things that these guys have to admit to and and move through to become that version of themselves? Uh, shame and self worth are the are big ones. You know, a lot of guys yeah. like like they won't even comment on Instagram, but you get them on a phone. And they, you talk to them for, you know, 30 minutes and they'll say, I, I just don't feel worth it. I don't feel worthy, worthy of yeah. the life they have worthy. So they, so. Oh, and they won't, they won't say it on Instagram because then someone's going to see it in public and that'll be ashamed. Yeah. They'll be ashamed of that. Right. Yeah, And, and so their, wife will, their, their wife will leave them and their buddies will ridicule them. And basically what it is, is exile from the tribe. So if I'm not worthy, mm -hmm. if I, I have to pretend that I feel really worthy and really masculine so that I can prove my worth to the tribe so I don't get kicked out. So I, I don't yeah. lose significance. And so underneath yeah. a lot of this is just little like as boys getting told you don't matter or your opinion doesn't matter or go in the other room or like, and we don't even know what it could be for, for any, any boy, but like yeah. as kids, we pick up on things. Like I picked up on some things as a kid that I look back on. I'm like, why is that? I was five. Why is that sticking with me? Cause I remember because yeah. <laughs> it was awful. And I'm now I'm trying to protect yeah. myself from going through that again. And so a lot of guys are just ashamed of who they really are. And they think that having a great job, having a hot wife, having a great car, all these things are great. But it, this is an example I give, I give a lot of my clients. It's like, you want a Lamborghini? Awesome. Let's talk about why you want a Lamborghini. Because you're going to buy a Lamborghini and you're going to go show up at your buddy's house. And the first day they're going to be like, oh, bro, sweet car, dude. They're going to want to go for rides. And then you're going to show up the next week and they're going to be like, hey, what's up? You're going to be like, but... My, my car, <laughs> you know, yeah. like let's talk about the real reason here. And is it because it makes you feel worthy or do you already feel worthy inside of you? So self-worth, shame, and this, and on the other, like one of the residuals or the symptoms of that is lack of communication, not being able to speak their truth. So yeah, not saying yes to themselves. Guys think that we have to sacrifice our needs, our wants, our desires so that everybody else around us can get a yes. It's not the case. Yeah. If you're, if you've been saying, yeah, if you're saying yes to hookers and cocaine, yeah, probably so. Probably gonna want to look at that. But what if you can say yes to yourself from an authentic uh, place of integrity, truth, love? By you saying yes to yourself, you build up your self worth, your self trust, your self love, your your divine masculine, your warrior, your king. So that really, what happens then is that everyone else around you, your kids, your wife, your parents, 
they all get a much, much, much amplified version of you. They get a, they get a better version of you. They get, they get the real version of you. 100%. And that means they all get a yes is what it means. Yeah, I love that, man. Sam, I, I could probably keep talking to you for hours, <laughs> but I'll, I'll, I'll hit you with one last question that I always got to ask, being that this is shit you don't learn in college. What's one thing that you wish was taught in school? Oh, man. I think... Um, good question. I should have known you were going to ask me this. <laughs> uh, I would say it is um, awareness. Self-awareness and awareness of other people. Being, mm. being mindful of how you show up and like energy, energy management. Yeah. Energy management should be the one that should be taught in college. How do you manage your energy? How do you stop freaking out before a test? How do you how do yeah. you stop how do you stop freaking out when something doesn't go your way? How do you handle? Yeah. How does your energy respond? How does your nervous system respond to the things not going how you thought they were? Going tough, to tough situations yeah. or difficult conversations yeah. or, yeah. And, we're, and we can go into the whole grading system how that defeats that purpose, but we'll stop there. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of problems yeah. with college. I'll tell you that yeah. much. But Stan, this is this has been stellar. Where can people learn more about you? Where can people learn more about your men's groups and and get in touch with you? Yeah, thank you very much, brother. Thank you so much for having me. This has been awesome. And again, I, we could talk for hours. Uh, Instagram is at Sam Gibbs Morris, and the website is samgibbsmorris.com. Yeah, and we'll make sure to link that in the show notes. That's Gibbs with two Bs, G I B B S. Sam Gibbs Morris. Sam, this has been absolutely stellar. Thanks for jumping on. And for all of our shit you don't learn in college fans out there, if you've gotten any value from this podcast, don't forget to go to www.sidlicbook.com. That's S-Y-D-L-I-C book.com to grab your copy of the number one bestseller, Shit You Don't Learn in College, the book available now. Sam, thanks a ton, man. Thank you, brother. All right. That's all we have for today, folks. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Shit You Don't Learn in College. And if you did, please share this episode on your social media and tag at Xander Fryer. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and give us a five-star rating so you don't miss any other great episodes. We can only spread our message when you share this knowledge with the others that need it. So we really appreciate the support. Thanks a ton.